establish the Bible as the expected revelation from God, we are prepared to launch forth into its pages and ask, what do we know about the nature of God from the Bible? With great enthusiasm, we begin our extended investigation of what we may know from the Bible. Our minds are keyed up for this inquiry by their very nature. We are inquisitive beings and long to know more about the mysteries of life. I am sure that most of us parents have heard at one time or another questions from our children that we could not answer. Daddy or Mommy, what is God like? or how big is God, or where did we come from, or does God care about our troubles? If he does, why doesn't he remove them, and the like. To ask questions is natural. We have a right to ask questions on the great problems that confront us. God has manifested in his vast creation enough wisdom and knowledge to impress us that he has the answers. He's also manifested enough goodness and kindness to convince us that he's willing to give us the answers. Then we have been confronted with the miraculous history and claims of the Bible. How natural to put all these evidences together and say, we have the Bible. It is the word of God as it claims. What ideas does it convey to us? As we proceed, we will be impressed by the reasonableness and profoundness of its answers, which will lead us in turn to put more confidence in its revelations of truth. We hasten on to ask, therefore, what do we know about the nature of God from the Bible? We have seen that many facts concerning God are evident from the marvels of creation and the uniformity of God's superintending power over the works of his hands. You recall in Romans 1.20, we read that man is responsible to recognize his eternal power and Godhead, and that these things are clearly seen. All are thus responsible to recognize him as a supreme being. Just as we perceive that we are separate and distinct from things that we produce, so we conclude that God must be. He must be some great being apart from the universe and must be able to inhabit it at will. None can certainly deny the omnipotence of God. The sheer greatness of the universe testifies to his unbounding power and energy. None further can deny the omnipresence of God, for his operations are everywhere manifested. He must, unknown to us, inhabit the whole universe, from its expanses down to its minute details. None can question further the omniscience of God. Nothing is in existence that escapes his knowledge. No design is deficient in that some feature or relation was overlooked when it was being planned. God does not have to do things over again because of further thought and meditation has brought to light additional facts. God at once possesses an infinite panorama of relationships which exhausts a given area of creation. 
According to this infinite concept of his being, he carries forth his actions. And when it is finished, he can say without regret, as is recorded in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. From the constancy of the things about us further, and from the knowledge of history that we have been able to gain, we conclude that God's existence must be of a very long duration, and the idea of eternity comes to be associated with God. But further, the idea becomes developed that God is a very meticulous being and appears to have a goodness or a kindness back of the things he has done. No basic desire has been created and left unfulfilled in the economy of creation. We have no evidence that God takes pleasure in depriving us of anything basic to our existence. Then again, God not only shows goodness, but demonstrates his faithfulness in all the affairs that concern us. We certainly exclaim from all this, his eternal power and Godhead. All these contemplations are truly wonderful. But as we turn to the Bible and painstakingly comb over its pages with a humble and teachable attitude, a much greater discovery awaits us. This great being is not an intangible force or a collection of great attributes pervading space of indescribable greatness, but lo and behold, this great being has personal attributes and therefore is within the realm of our unending exploration. God is not only great and knowing and powerful and so forth, but he is a personal living being. And this is the glorious demonstration of the Bible. To anticipate ourselves a little, we read in the very first chapter a most astonishing fact. God created man in his own image. In the image of God made he him. Since man was created in the image of God, Man must bear his real immaterial constitution, the divine likeness. Man is really, therefore, like God, according to this profound fact of revelation. Of course, it's too obvious to need statement that man is only a tiny, minute resemblance to God. But nevertheless, he is truly after the divine pattern. If we keep in mind the proper sense of proportions, we may also say in all truthfulness that God is like us in our basic nature. If we want to understand better what God is like, therefore, we should seek to understand better what we ourselves are like, and then multiply this concept a millionfold, or better, by an infinite number. The remarkable revelation of the Bible, therefore, is that God is a personal existence of infinite dimensions and not an impersonalized association of forces or attributes as wonderful as these might be. Let us notice a few of the personal actions or reactions of God as set forth in the Bible. 
in the great prophecy of Isaiah and chapter 57 and verse 15, we read this remarkable statement. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Here God is pictured as a personalized existence dwelling throughout the ages of eternity, ever watchful for the reactions of man. In the 102nd Psalm and verses 24 to 27, we read these words. I said, O my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. My years are throughout all generations. Of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Are these not two wonderful expressions? Thy years are throughout all generations, and thy years shall have no end. So God inhabits eternity, the very essence of personality. The psalmist in Psalm 8 and verses 3 to 6 was astonished at God's personal interest in man. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? and the Son of Man that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. So God is personally and intimately mindful of man. In Hosea chapter 11 and verse 9, the latter part, we read these words. I am God and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee. Is not that expression in the midst of a very delicate characteristic? We have also a remarkable statement in the uh, prophecy of Zephaniah and chapter 3 and verse 17. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Here then we have the expressions that could only be true of a glorious personal God. Now since God is in the midst, we must have a right attitude or he will be obliged to turn away from us. We read about that in the 23rd chapter of Deuteronomy and verse 14. For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee and to give up thine enemies before thee. Therefore shall thy camp be holy, that he see no unclean thing in thee and turn away from thee. So God is a great personal being who reacts to our attitudes and who must take action according to our action. He not only is a great being, 
but he is pictured in the Bible as having a great dominion. In the first book of Kings, chapter 22 and verse 19, this great August dominion of God is described. And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by him, and on his right hand and on his left. So the great declaration of the Bible is that God is a great and glorious personal being. Let us humble ourselves, therefore, and recognize his glorious existence and make our peace with him through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we pray. Heavenly Father, receive thanks for giving us the Bible, thy precious word, and for revealing to us the way by which we may make our peace with thee. We thank thee for thy revealed concern over our welfare. We thank thee for thy manifested love in giving the Savior into the world to die for the sins of the world. We pray that many may humble themselves in recognition of these most obvious facts, may come to the Savior by faith, may find forgiveness and mercy, and go on their way rejoicing in thy presence. In Jesus' name, our Savior, we pray. Amen.